The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Hello there, boys and girls, and welcome to our live Circling the Bases Q&A show right here on NBC Sports Edge following the MLB Sunday leadoff. I am your host, Colin Henderson. Joining me today, our very own George Bissell. George, how's the holiday weekend going? It is going fantastic. Uh, I'm looking forward to getting back out there to the festivities after we wrap this one up. We got a, a really good game this morning on NBC, so... Yep. That was a good way to start it off, and uh, hopefully everyone out there is having a safe and happy holiday weekend and, and enjoying themselves. It's perfect exactly. weather across most of the country. Yeah, I know. That's, that's been the fun part is that there was a lot of supposed to be thunderstorms across the country. Suddenly everything's cleared up. They appreciate a three-day weekend. We Like you just said, we just watched the Kansas City at Detroit game on MLB Sunday leadoff right here on Peacock. Uh, Kansas City wins 7-4. to four. Uh, obviously there was a lot of fun within the game, but I thought one of the most interesting factors from the game was NBC's swing on the no play-by-play guy in the booth, a, an empty booth up top with just three commentators walking around the stadium. I got to say, I kind of appreciate it to a certain extent, just like listening to the game and watching it without like people having to fill in the blanks just in the middle. But there were a couple little spots like in the bases loaded top of the ninth uh or top of the eighth screecher to javi baez who catches the ball on a fly dives into second base to try and get the double play safe but no comment during that whole spot and i was like oh i'm just waiting for somebody to yell like oh what a play by javi but otherwise i thought it was actually kind of a fun experiment kind of getting a, a tour around the stadium getting to talk to some fans do the stuff up i think this is the type of things that you know you could take a swing on in these moments it's nice to get that sort of ambiance, that, yeah. that feel for the game. And you feel it in big moments, especially in playoff games, those big tense moments. Wherever mm-hmm. there's a big strikeout and the crowd comes to life or somebody makes a phenomenal catch, you know, you get the crowd involved. And, and it, nothing sounds better than that in October. But uh, to see it in a regular season game is interesting. Like you said, it, it'd be nice to have, you know, that call of the, of the moment. Like when Merrifield made the diving catch with yeah. bases loaded, you're like, I, I just want to hear what that would have sounded right. like. Yeah, give, so, me the, give me the energy on top of that. Yeah. Yeah. The best guys, the best play-by-play guys out there and, and women out there who do this, you know, they are, they're able to find those moments where you let the mm-hmm. crowd and the moment take over and then you hit it with the perfect uh, description. So that's the way to do it. I think there's a balance between the two, but that was a really interesting experiment today. I'm glad they did it. it, it was me def- too. Yeah, I think it's also funny because, I mean, I I will take the assumption on your end, but like you and I watch a ton of baseball, which means that we end up watching a lot of games on mute. Like just inherently, we're doing stuff in the background, we're watching games and we have to do that. So this kind of felt like I was watching game while on mute, while doing the stuff. I was enjoying the stadium as if I was sitting there rather than me just kind of watching on mute, taking over every two seconds, looking between screens, catching up on everything else. That was actually really nice. Yeah, we were talking offline. It felt like one of those old Nesson broadcasts where somebody would be heckling Derek Jeter from my childhood. (laughs) That's that's what it took me back to today. So I will say that was the only thing I didn't hear. I heard no heckling. I heard no. And maybe this is the New York Boston in both of us here where we're like, we're a little more used to that kind of hate. It was the Midwest thrown into the game there. But yeah, they're not going to get into that in Detroit. I don't think so. Yeah, it's nice. But (laughs) We got a good game. That was nice. It was a really good game. Scott Barlow closing it out in the end. Like I said, Kansas City wins 7-4. to four. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? 
also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Is this house a good price compared to others in the area? Are prices going up or down? If I don't make an offer right this very moment, will I miss my chance? These are just some of the questions a home buyer might ask. And these are the sorts of questions an agent who is a Realtor can help answer. Because Realtors have the expertise, data, and access to specialty training to help you navigate the process of buying a home. They provide support, guidance, and have your back every step of the way. That's what Realtors do, because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. For everyone out there who is listening to this live, first off, thank you for tuning in to us now. Uh, make sure you are writing in the comments any Q&As or any questions. I No answers. Make sure you're writing in questions in the comments box. We, George and I, will try and get to just about as many of them as we can in the next 30 to 40 minutes. But let's talk about a few other major news coming up this week as we get you ready for your fantasy week this week. And anybody who sets weekly lineups, we got a couple things for you here now let's start off with some of the, the the biggest news probably coming for this week is Mad Max returns. Scherzer hits the bump on Tuesday against Cincinnati after being out for about a month and a half with an injury. He is a welcome sight to a Mets team that is still first place in the NL East, but that grip on the NL East has gotten a little more tentative over the last couple of weeks. He returns now. That is a big boost to the Mets as obviously they await a DeGrom return potentially by the All-Star break. Yeah, I think Scherzer getting that extra rehab start and he talked about he didn't want to have another setback from the oblique issue. You know, that's something where if you have another issue crop up with it, you're out for another month or two. So obviously I think they wanted to build up his stamina pitch count, make sure when he goes out there because he's going to go 110%. Once he gets back out right. there for the Mets. So they didn't want to have any issues. And I think that's something that came up recently with, with uh, Jack Flaherty. When he came back, maybe a little sooner than they had anticipated. And when he went to ramp up, uh, experienced more issues with the shoulder. So I think that's something to watch. I, I think the Mets are going to try to be as cautious as they can with Scherzer. While at the same point saying, hey, you're good to go, big guy. Let's do this. So It'll be nice to get him back and going. And DeGrom, it's a little bit of a different timeline. Mm -hmm. They're talking about his buildup is going to be more of like a full spring training. Yeah. So I'd expect that to be about three weeks, maybe closer to a month. So I don't think we see him till you know late July at the earliest. And I think it's it's just they, they can't afford to lose him for an extended period here. So they got to make sure he's ready to go. Uh, when they need him back for that stretch run, because it looks like the Mets are going to be in contention. And that's another team that they have a really solid rotation, but I can envision them going out and trying to get some more help, especially in the bullpen here later on. Oh, bullpen, especially for the Mets there. But like you said, with, with DeGrom, like fortunately to the Mets credit, they are first place in the national league East right now. They are in a very good spot. They have the ability to ease DeGrom, to ease Scherzer, to ease anybody they want right now back into the lineup, back into the rotation. They don't need to rush anybody back. And I think that for that reason, for fantasy managers out there, that's not the thing that we want to hear. We want to see the guys come back and we want to get them back in our lineups as fast as possible. But there is something to be said about making sure these guys are 110% healthy before they get back on the mound. Because like you said, the Mets have a very special team this year. And the fact that they have gotten to where they are Without really Scherzer and DeGrom, the two guys who were expected to lead them to this point, they're here without them. That's great for the for the future there. Mets looking really bright, especially when you get those two back in the rotation. Yeah. And speaking of the Mets, uh, the Mets promote top prospect Francisco Alvarez from AA to AAA over the weekend. Uh, he is their unanimous number one top prospect, a universal top 20 prospect in the majors. Alvarez has been thriving with the Rumble ponies. 
Over the last 66 games, he's hit 277, 368, 558 with 18 home runs, 16 doubles, and 47 RBIs. Uh, last year, he put up a 1.213 OPS at low A St. Lucie and an 889 OPS in 84 games for Brooklyn. Uh, he has a career in 931 OPS over 207 minor league games. He look, these this was a guy who, like I said, top prospect. We did not expect a call at 20 this year in 2022, but now he is only a step away. The Mets are obviously looking for a title this year, and they currently have the 25th best catcher batting average in the majors, and they are last in the major leagues in catcher slugging percentage that they've gotten from that position. So you know what? If there is not a trade to be made at some point during this deadline, we I think there's a genuine chance we might have an opportunity to see Francisco Alvarez play before the end of the year. Yeah, so the, there were rumblings a couple of weeks ago that Alvarez was a potential call candidate, and we've seen that this year, especially with, with top catching prospects where they've been able to come up and make an impact. Obviously, the headliner is Adley Rushman. He's gotten off to a little bit of a slow start, mm-hmm. but he's in more of a different situation where he's handling the bulk of the catching duties for the Orioles. So that's the problem with rookie catchers when they come up is they just have these long adjustment periods because they have they have so much responsibility defensively and handling pitching staffs that it takes a while for them to get acclimated and, and adjust at the highest level for, at the plate because they just have so much else they have to deal with. But we've seen Gabriel Moreno come up, the yep. up top prospect for the Blue Jays. He's been in a little bit of a reserve role, splitting time with Alejandro Kirk, who's probably going to be the starting all-star game catcher for the sure. American League. He's been <laughs> phenomenal. So they have the flexibility to say, hey, just worry about hitting, and you're going to catch every now and then, and you don't really have to worry about it. So and, and MJ Melendez is another guy who's been in a similar spot for the Royals, and he's been he's been up for a couple of weeks now, and he's been fantastic as well, another bat-oriented prospect who's pretty good defensively. And I, I think that's what you're going to see with Alvarez, where if he gets called up, you know, he's somebody who can make an impact to designate a hitter. There are multiple avenues to add bats mm-hmm. for him where it's not necessarily is he going to be the everyday starter because I think they like James McCann because he's such a good – defensive catcher and he's such a good framer that you want him behind the plate. This is sort of what the Astros have done with Martin Maldonado the last couple of years where he's so good defensively. You don't even care if he never gets a hit because you need his leadership with your pitching staff. So I think McCann remains the the primary starter and he's back now from the injury he had earlier this year. And it's possible Alvarez is up in sort of that reserve role. Hey, we need you to DH against this lefty. Like he's a guy I think they can pull off the bench in a big game in, in the postseason and maybe make an impact that way. So yeah, it was difficult to project him at the start of the year given his age. I think he's only what, still 20, 21? Yeah, 20, I think. Yeah, yeah. 20. So, but now that we have some sort of precedent with guys coming up and succeeding right away, like with Juan Soto and mm-hmm. Moreno this year, I mean, it wouldn't be shocking to see him up in, in sort of a limited role, but definitely not as like an everyday starter. So that limits his fantasy potential. But I think right. he's the type of guy who could make an impact for the Mets down the stretch here. Especially when we talk about September call-ups and things like that, when rosters expand, like you don't need to, again, Mets are in a very good spot right now. They don't need to make a move on that front. They could take a defensive first catcher and be totally fine with the lineup that they have. But a September call-up, a late August call-up, those are very much in the wheelhouse for Alvarez. And you know what? That bat should play quite nicely when we get to the majors. So whenever he does, someone to at least take a peek at in redraft leagues and Honestly, should be on every single dynasty league out there right now because he is a step away and he could be a game changer from behind the plate. Yeah, it's not it's not often you get impact catching prospects. There has been a yeah. catcher, I think, who's hit 30 home runs in a while. So, I mean, you've had like your Gary Sanchez has been like kind of that one-dimensional slugger. But, uh, yeah, it's not often you get this type of impact bat. And we have a couple of them now. That's, that's what makes it so exciting. We've seen so many rookies come up this year who are so good, especially with the outfielders. I mean, we just yeah. saw that with Riley Green earlier today in the NBC leadoff game where – He's going to be atop that Tigers lineup for it looks like the next decade. Like I can't envision a scenario in which nope. he's not. He's that type of fun talent, and it's a really interesting time in the game. Michael Harris, Julio Rodriguez, like there are just so many guys who are fun, interesting players, and I think they're going to be around for a long, long time. Uh, let's flip over to Juan Soto a second here. He leaves the game early with a leg injury. We don't have any update as we speak right now. Uh, he was pulled in the fifth inning after running into the outfield wall while trying to make a play and then aggravated the injury while being involved in a rundown the following inning. Um, obviously, anytime Juan Soto breaks a nail, it's it's news in the fantasy world because of just how dominant that he is. But getting pulled in, getting pulled in the fifth, 
let's hope that this is just a minor bump in the road. But obviously, all Soto managers out there need to be aware that there might be something coming down the pipeline here. Yeah, so he's going to go for further testing. I'd imagine they're going to do an MRI. And the issue is this is the left knee. Uh, The issue he had a couple weeks ago was the right knee when he banged it on the dugout bench. One of the weird sort of bizarre injuries. They were were just super cautious because when you you have a franchise cornerstone superstar – you don't put them out there unless you're absolutely 100%. So I would expect them to miss some time. I think if you're in a really shallow mixed league, there's a chance maybe you put him on the bench this week because I don't know if he's going to be able to play tomorrow. And then you have – it's an 11 a.m. start, so I can't envision him playing tomorrow. I think he's definitely 100% going to be out on Monday. Yeah. Um, and then you get into the rest of the week with their schedule. They have a, a road series against the Phillies. And Look, I, I think it could get – dangerous here i think he's going to miss a couple days and we don't have any updates beyond that but i think in a best case scenario he's going to be sidelined for a little bit here which is unfortunate because uh he's been really good of late so i would just keep an eye on the situation it's a little concerning because it's the other knee it's not yeah. a pre-existing condition where they were just being cautious i think there's something to, to be concerned about here well especially for those in weekly lineup leagues if you're we if your lineup locks this it's very rare that anyone will tell you to bench Soto in a weekly lineup league. But if there ever was a time, this might be the week that is that you need to make that hard call. And and it's an 11 a.m. Eastern lock lineup lock tomorrow. Yeah, Wake up early, boys and girls. Don't forget about it. Yeah, this is you might want to say your lineups tonight because it's it's going to be early, especially for you West Coasters out there. Wake up at 730 in the morning to go uh, to go set your lineups. So let's get to some cute. Let's get some questions right now. Let's start with JP here. Uh, what are the chances that a Roldish Chapman gets the closer job back this season? So obviously Clay Holmes has been one of, if not the best closers in baseball since he has taken over the role. I, I think he's only given up about two earned runs the entire year. He's been absolutely tremendous. Aaron Boone, though, how has said that a Roldish Chapman has not has to earn his job back, but he does need to kind of like ease himself back in before taking over the role. I will say from a Yankee fan, especially who has obviously dealt with a Chapman and Boone for a couple of years now, Boone has been very much a Chapman fan and has given him as much leash as humanly possible um, in his, you know, like last year he struggled for a little bit. That being said, I would not be shocked if Chapman a month from now has the closer job back and Holmes is the fireman who just like puts out fires in the seventh and eighth inning. That wouldn't shock me. But at the same time, Chapman's going to have to show something in the next couple appearances. He's going to have to show something in the next couple weeks that is going to have to earn him back that closer job. I think I put this more like a 50-50 in terms of him getting back, maybe even a 60-40 that he gets the closer job back. But um, Clay Holmes has just simply been that good this year that this is a conversation to be had. Yeah. So from a team standpoint, Boone has to say these things. Yeah. If he's going to build up Chapman's confidence, he's got to say, Hey, we believe in you. We know you can do this. And he had converted nine of nine save chances so far this season. So I, I struggle with it because he looked really bad on Saturday when he came back. His first appearance yeah. came in the first game of the doubleheader against Cleveland, just absolutely zero command. Well, no control. He he had no idea where it was going. No, nope. basically, what and that's happened. been a, and that's been a trend throughout the season, really, and really since the sticky stuff conversation has happened, that's been a little bit of a trend since. So, I don't want to speculate, but right. we can just go by what we saw. And and <laughs> in that first appearance, he walked the bases loaded and immediately got lifted from the game. And it was not a close game when he came in, so there wasn't any pressure. This wasn't a one run game in the seventh inning. So. I think it's going to take him a while to build up his confidence. And he, he got a lot of outings in the minor leagues, probably a few more than I thought they were going to give him. So clearly I think they're more just trying to build up his confidence than anything after yeah. Clay Holmes has pitched the way he has. I think you just roll with him and, and keep things going if you're in New York. And, and you just have to hope that you can get Chapman to the point where he's a reliable guy in the late innings because uh, they're going to need him in, in the playoffs. Just no They don't question. have a lot of left-handed options. I know they're counting on Zach Britton to sort of come back, but we don't know what he's going to look like. And nope. August, September, if he's able to get back for a few appearances. So I think they're going to need him, but I, I can't imagine them turning to him in a, in a close game right now. It's just after what we saw on Saturday, you need to see more before you trust him again. Yeah, there's going to be, I mean, weeks. I think we're talking literal weeks before we have an opportunity for him to potentially take over that role, and he's going to have to be really good during that process. So um, so we'll see. But either way, I think Chapman, 
if Chapman's available in your league, I know that he's been dropped in quite a few since his injury. Are you at all interested in going to grab him in a 12-team standard? Is this someone that you think is worth the roster spot? There's the old adage, you always bet on talent, and eventually talent wins out, it finds right. a way. So, yeah, it wouldn't shock me at all to see him making an impact later in the year. But the problem is relievers so fungible right now. You have so many teams that are going with the committee approach where you can kind of find quality relievers and saves all over the map. So kind of stashing a guy like Chapman for an extended period doesn't make a lot of sense to me because you can just find a closer on the right. waiver wire. I mean, how many examples do we have? I can name like five off the top of my head from the season. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you have – um like Danny Jimenez, Jorge Lopez, like these guys just kind of come out of nowhere and gain trust. So what, what I'd rather like a good example would be um, someone who's not currently getting saves, but I think could get saves like Felix Bautista. Yeah. Would I rather have like a Felix Bautista or like a Yeri de los Santos for the pirates, somebody who could be next in line for saves in three weeks when the trade deadline comes around. Right. Or do I want to stash Chapman? It's like those guys I'd feel confident about, you know, producing right now and making an impact and getting saves in a couple of weeks as opposed to Chapman where you don't know what you're stashing for here. So I, I think there are higher upside um, plays out there right now in terms of guys who I feel more confident about getting save chances sooner. Especially considering, like you said, trade deadline coming up, there's going to be a lot of the reliever market always churns its way through for the second half of July. We're going to see suddenly guys who were set up guys be closers on bad teams. We're going to see good closers on bad teams suddenly become set up guys on good teams. And now suddenly their fantasy value is depleted. So there's a lot that's going to happen within the next month, obviously in this month. And we're going to see a lot of save opportunities. If you're chasing saves, I agree with you. I think there are guys out there that you're going to be able to find that'll have a better opportunity to get save chances than Chapman right now in just a world where Clay Holmes looks this good. Yeah, and Clay Holmes was drafted in exactly zero leagues this year. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's that's what relievers are. They're they're strange, and I, I'm just I'm not stashing relievers as good unless it's Mariano Rivera. I'm not doing it. Let's talk to Couchad here. How intriguing is there in? Jonathan VR sliding into a leadoff role in a vastly superior offense to the one he was on with the Cubs. I appreciate you calling the Angels a vastly superior offense to the Cubs. I don't know the stats to back that up, but I will say that it's a better one. I'm not sure vastly superior is the word in there, but I think the conversation here with Jonathan VR is, I mean, you say he's sliding into a leadoff role. I don't know if that leadoff role is his to take like I I think he's gonna have to earn that role I don't think that's something that he's walking into without any competition here but sure in the theoretical world that he ends up getting atop the Angels lineup with Trout Otani and Walsh behind him sure I think obviously his fantasy stock rises quite a bit but I don't know if you need Jonathan VR on your lineups right now I mean it's a deep league for you to be adding him right now Yeah, so here's the deal with VR. His bat speed has declined. His exit velocity has declined. His sprint Mm -hmm. speed has declined. Stolen bases have gone down. He doesn't hit for power, and the batting average hasn't been good. So I I don't really know what you're getting here. Like the guy from a couple years ago where he could steal 20, 30 bases, that guy's not not there anymore. And I know he let off on Sunday, but you have to understand the context here. They just signed him. They're looking to create a spark. Yep. Their interim manager has been suspended. And then the acting manager for the interim manager was also suspended. Mm-hmm. So you're down to your third manager here. And you're like, guys. Technically fourth. Like, technically yeah. fourth with Joe Madden not there anymore. So so you've gone quite a, quite far down on the depth chart here today. <laughs> yeah. And you're going, all right, guys. What can we do to create a spark? Hey, the new guy. Like, I think that's what Kick this in. was. Yeah. So, look, I, I don't know that Taylor Ward is necessarily going to be removed from the leadoff spot going forward. The thing we know about VR is that he's going to play third base. Anthony Rendon's done for the season. So, they need sort of a veteran presence there, somebody who can move around. I think they're going to give him regular starts. And this is a team that has to make the playoffs. They're desperate to find any kind Absolutely. of spark. So, that's yeah. what this VR thing speaks up to me. And, like, could he steal a couple bases? Sure. But if he hits 210 with no power, what are you really getting there? So I think there are other guys out there who can do that. That's yeah. I just don't think he's that intriguing, especially if you're in a shallower format. I just don't see it. Yeah, it would have to be a deep format, an AL-only format, something along those lines to get VR on my roster right now. Just because, like I, like you said, the the returns are diminishing. Like This is not someone who is 
at he, you know on the upscale, he is not in the prime of his career. He's on the downslope, and he got yes, he's changing the team. He got 500 plate appearances last year with the Mets, and he hit 249 with 14 steals. Yeah. So what is what is that this year? That's he plays healthy. every day. He's hitting like 230 with yeah. maybe five to ten steals. That's and no power. That's not. It's not going to make an impact. Yeah, there are other players out there that can do more for you right now than Jonathan VR. Uh, let's stick with Chad here as well. He's brought in another question. couple of players coming off or soon to be coming off lengthy layoffs. What expe- expectations do we have for Mad Max, Karinchak, Suzuki, and Kyle Lewis? So we already spoke about Mad Max a little bit. Obviously, you put him right back into your lineup and you expect top five, top seven starting pitching you know, stats from now to the end of the year. That's what Scherzer has done. That's what he's getting paid, what, $43 million this year to, to get done? Like, he, that's that's what he's here for. Um, Karinchak, Suzuki, and Kyle Lewis are a little bit more interesting. Karinchak, I mean, obviously, is the setup guy in Cleveland. The, there's no – the Class A is the closer there. There's not a conversation to be had. So unless you live in a holds league, uh, Karinchak – or, or there is a Class A injury. There just isn't really a fantasy route for him to be successful. And then Suzuki and Kyle Lewis, George, kick off those. Well, Suzuki, he just played right field yesterday in AAA. So he's been dealing with the finger issue. Yep. It's one where it, it he, he he's wanted to get back so badly. They kind of had to tell him, look, you need to rest for it to heal. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you can't come back. So he's one of those guys who's so motivated to get back out there that it, this was a really difficult injury for him because he basically had to take time off and they kind of forced him to take time off in order for it to heal up. So the expectation is that he's going to be healthy. And I don't know. I, I struggle because I really like Suzuki. I think he's a phenomenal Me hitter. Too. I think his approach is great. He can, he can kind of hit the ball to all fields. He's got a little bit of power kind of does everything. Well, I, I worry because he didn't get the super long spring training and, I think when you have guys coming from other foreign leagues and sometimes there's a longer adjustment period here. So between the short and spring training, he got off to a good start, but was starting to fade. And now you have another lengthy layoff. So I just, I'm a little concerned that, you know, he doesn't quite get it going again, but I believe in the talent. I I thought he was going to be potentially like a top 20 fantasy outfielder this year, if it all came together. So Lewis is a different story because he's coming off the concussion. Um, he was shut down for a long time, just no baseball activity at all. Yeah. So just recently was able to resume uh, hitting again, started minor league rehab assignment. I think today is the first day he's going to go out and play in AAA. So we'll see. I think it's going to be another situation where he's got he's going to need a couple of weeks of at-bats, sort of like what Eloy Jimenez is doing right now, where I know there's a chance he comes back next week. Another guy who's been out for a while, but yeah. he had to, he's been playing in AAA for like a month now. So that's a situation where I think Lewis, they want to be a hundred percent that he's okay before they put him back on a field uh, at the major league level. Yeah. Especially with that knee injury that is just always going to be hanging around his neck, you know, one way or the other, it, 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 there's just a question mark there, obviously with a concussion on top, he's had injury issues throughout his career. This is a rookie of the year winner. I mean, he is a very talented player. The, the issue is just simply staying healthy and staying on the field. I think with Kyle Lewis, obviously, with just the dearth of outfielders out there, I don't think he is someone that you needs that needs to be on rosters right now that you can wait for. I think you miss him. Somebody else scoops him up when he comes back. I think you're okay. Uh, Suzuki, like I said, uh, like you said, George, I, I believe in the talent. I think the talent is there. And I think, you know what? We might be talking about someone that you can get for an absolute steal in 2023 drafts, especially if he's unable to get back this year. You might be able to get him in double-digit rounds next year and absolutely get a steal. But this year, I don't know how much he's going to be brought back. Obviously, this is a Cubs team in full-on rebuild. I, I mean, I expect middling to uh, you know average to slightly above-average production from Suzuki from the day that he returns to the end of the year. But um, certainly not the the expectations. Like you said, maybe a top 20 outfielder at the end of the year entering the season. Like I think we're talking more of a top 40, hopefully, by the end of the year. So I think statistically he profiles a lot. Remember young Matt Carpenter? Guy who yep. had a lot of doubles, mm-hmm. kind of a leadoff guy type. Uh, I think that's ultimately where we settle with Suzuki. Where I think at his peak, his, his best season is going to look something like that. I mean – just the Pakota projections alone going into the year from some of the equivalencies from what he was doing uh, overseas to, to translating into the majors, they, he graded out as one of the best hitters of baseball in those, those 
uh, projections. So he hasn't been bad. I mean, he's, he's at 245 with a 344 on base percentage. Mm-hmm. So um, the slugging percentage hasn't been good, but there's a lot of doubles in there, only four homers. So he's that type of guy who I think can do a little bit of everything. And I definitely want to, you know, be invested in him next year. I, I definitely would want to have him on a lot of my rosters. Yeah. 2023. I expect a big year from Suzuki, especially health, uh, <laughs> health deciding, uh, Jeffrey, why does my team suck? I wish I knew what team you were. You didn't say it on there, but, um, I'm going to say bad pitching and uh, mediocre defense. That's what I'm going to say. But <laughs> he also manager. wrote in another one here. How long is Tatis going to be faking his injury? I assume it's not a fake, but uh, it does look like uh, last projections, he is expected to be swinging a bat sometime within the next week, probably tack on another month after that for uh, basically an extended spring training. So we might be able to potentially see him by mid-August. Look, he is someone that could change your fantasy roster wholeheartedly the second that he comes back. So if you drafted Ted Tease, you knew what you were drafting. You're holding on to him until you get him in, in a redraft league. This is just what you're going to have to do. If you are out there and you're looking like, Hey, I'm really good in my league right now. I'm, I'm, I'm basically, you know, trying to shore up a championship right now. And someone who is, struggling for a playoff spot someone who's struggling for stats has been stashing tatis since the start of the year not a bad time to start maybe kicking those tires and see if you can add them to your roster one way or the other but um i mean tatis just has that ability to completely change a fantasy roster as soon as he gets healthy the timelines they vary I, it, it just depends on the ramp up how long they want him to to play in the minors I, i've seen late july and we've seen him stop start that ramp up a couple times now so like this is well, not it's not a, it's wasn't, not straightforward yet yeah so he had a follow-up um last month where they determined the left wrist wasn't healed enough to the point where he could start hitting he'd been cleared to ramp up his, his yep. sort of fielding workouts for a while and that's what you'd see those videos of him taking you know grounders at short and throwing across the diamond well that's all involved with the right wrist it, it's the left one that he broke so he had the mm-hmm. surgery on in march and the only reason he couldn't get the surgery was they didn't know about any of this till the lockout ended so yeah. he shows up after the lockout in march and has a fractured wrist that he has to have surgery on so yeah <laughs> i remember that when it happened that was an interesting day on the new ship but uh <laughs> you just can't script this stuff so nope. Yeah, look, it, wrist injuries are some of the hardest things to come back from uh, for a hitter. So I, I think they wanted to be cautious before they said, all right, now you can wrap up your hitting progression. So I think he's getting close to the point where he can play in minor league games. And like it wouldn't shock me to see him back by the trade line, trade deadline, which is the first week of August. So that's kind of the range I think they're targeting. We'll have a clearer picture here in a couple of weeks, but it's just a, a bad injury to come back from. You just literally have to wait for it to heal, and then you can right. start hitting. There's nothing you can do about it. Uh, Jeffrey also asked about Michael Harris from a dynasty league perspective. Look, I, Michael Harris has been excellent this year. He's he has stepped onto the major league roster and has done really has made the trade, um, the Matt Olson trade where they shipped off their top prospect why center fielder whose name I'm completely blanking Pache. on right now. Pache, yes, Christian Pache. Who's I mean, the it's it is made that trade look great in comparison, just knowing that they were able to keep Michael Harris in this conversation Um, from a dynasty league perspective. He should be on every roster in a dynasty league. He is playing at the major league level and he's succeeding at the major league level. Um, I mean, do I see this guy as like a top 20, 25, top 30 outfielder? I'm not entirely sure. I'm willing to hit that from a fantasy perspective, but is he going to be a good part of fantasy teams for the foreseeable future? Yeah, I, I think so. Well, I I see him as like the good version of Brett Gardner. Like you remember the years mm-hmm. of yep. Brett Gardner would you know it's going to be double digit home runs, um, probably close to twenty steals. He's going to hit around two eighty three hundred. He's he's never going to have that season where you know, exactly. maybe it will happen, but where he you know hits thirty or forty home runs. Like I, I don't think I don't think that's the type of power ceiling we're talking about. But he's that you know prototypical high floor five category producer where you're going to be able to rely on him year in and year out. And that's kind of what Brett Gardner did for 20 years. So yep. that's kind of what I think of Harris right now. They're not asking him to do too much. They're asking him to go out, play good defense at that ninth. And he's excelled at that. And I don't think they want to push him beyond anything past that. So uh, he's been really good. And that's where I struggle because someone like Riley green, I think just has such a higher ceiling yeah. uh, with his athlete- athleticism, but they're kind of similar guys where I think the production could be similar year to year, but those peak years for someone like green, I think are going to be, um, 
a little bit higher from a, from a power standpoint. So that's where I come down. But then again, like you never know with these guys. I mean, I, I, back in the day, I thought Victor Robles was going to be as good, if not better than mm-hmm. Ronald Acuna. I mean, that was yep. something I thought. And you know, you, you just never know. So uh, until a guy gets to the majors, so we'll see, but I think Harris is going to be really good for a long time. And he just reminds me of Brett Gardner where you're like, Oh, this guy, like I was a Red Sox fan. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just something like, Oh man, this guy, we got to see him again. Like, that's what I think the uh, NL East is going to be like with Harris for the next like 15, 20 years. You're like, oh, this guy. <laughs> exactly. Just that guy who's just constantly a thorn in a side. Yeah. He's, not, he's not someone that you build a lineup around. Be someone that you're like, God, is he there still? All You'd right. love him if he's on your team, but you despise him if he's exactly. on your rival team. You're like, oh, I can't stand this guy. All right. Brisk asks two questions here. Thoughts on Dustin May and Nick Lodolo. Obviously, Dustin May still returning from recovering from an injury. I don't know if we're going to see him this year. But Nick Lodolo, talk about him a little bit. And obviously, he's on our he's returning from um, kind of a little brief IL minor league stint. And he's back. He's also a two starter this week. So talk about him and also highlight a couple two starters for us this week. Yeah, so Lodolo hasn't started a game in the major since April. He had a back issue that was kind of a problem, and they wanted to be sure he was right before bringing him back. He got a couple extra minor league outings in there, so um, he's going to get two starts this week. I have him in the category of the uh, the are you feeling lucky. That's the way I look at <laughs> yep. it because he's a rookie who hasn't pitched in a while in the majors, so that's mm-hmm. always risky. I mean, he could Shane Boz came back and gave up, I think, five runs his first uh, start back, and he looked great in the minors. Uh, leading up through his rehab process. So right. I think it's an adjustment and both of these starts are at home. So it's a hitter friendly environment that the Mets coming in on, I think it's Monday or Tuesday. Um, I, I don't know that I want him in that matchup, but he gets the raise later on this week. That's the second start. So that's the one I think is the high strikeout upside, but you're not going to feel good about it. If he goes up and gives like four or five runs on <laughs> early in the week against the Mets, exactly. you're not going to feel as good about it, but I think he's primed up for a, a pretty good week this week. The other guys I'm looking at, Dean Kramer um, for the Orioles. He's been – it's time to start taking him seriously. Not a big strikeout guy, but uh, ERA of 1.29. Not a big strikeout guy, only 19 strikeouts in 28 innings. But five starts, he's been really good since uh, making his season debut in early June. He gets the Rangers and the Angels at home this week. So those are two really good matchups. Those lineups don't scare me. I think he could have success there. Uh, you say Kikuchi's coming off his best start of the year against the Rays back on Thursday, six innings, eight strikeouts. He's a guy who's kind of fighting for his job right now. And maybe Kevin Gosman missing a start here gives him a little bit longer. Uh, but there was a chance he was going to get bumped from that rotation if he didn't pick things up. So he's got two really good matchups here. He gets the A's in Oakland and then at Seattle as well, his former team, you know, he's going to be able to prove something there. So oh, yeah. I just like the spots there with Kikuchi. It just feels good. Um, and then Jake Odorizzi is another guy. Coming back off the injured list this week, he's got a couple minor league starts under his belt. He's looked pretty good. Coming back from that uh, right ankle injury, which looked like it was probably going to be season-ending when it happened. It did right. not look good. He got carted off the field, but uh, he's he's been fine. Um, he's able to come back from that. So pretty soft landing this week. He's got uh, two starts against – he's got the Royals and then at Oakland. So hard to draw up a, a softer landing than that for a guy like Edo Rizzi. So, you know – the only guy with big strikeout ups there, there is Kikuchi, and I think he's probably owned in a lot, a rostered in a lot of league. But I, I like Kramer. I, I think he's been sort of one of those underrated guys. I've always liked him, like those Jason Vargas types, where you're like, yeah. how does he do it? Um, he, he just, just gets, gets it done. Of, yeah. yeah, double plays, soft contact. Like those guys fascinate me because sometimes you're like, how? And then the stats are great. So I think he's got another uh, really good two starts lined up here. And real quick, thoughts on Dustin May, best hair in baseball. That's all oh. I mean. I mean, that's it's up there. I mean, God, best hair in baseball. I mean, Dansby Swanson's got phenomenal hair. Uh, what are some other good ones? Clint Frazier was there Clint for Fra- a while. I feel I, I feel bad. Like as a Yankee fan, I feel like I, yeah. I I'm pretty sure he was going to be in a, a Hall of Famer until we cut off his hair, and then all of a sudden now we're Jazz. Jazz has awesome yeah, jazz hair. With the, I think with it's the, still blue or purple. The electric or, blue. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Those are some yep. good ones there. I agree. Dustin May though that. That uh, that carrot top look when he's throwing ninety eight <laughs> of a sled, like a ninety eight mile an hour slider is pretty ideal. Craig, Craig uh, Goldstein from Baseball Prospectus, he has the the Waluigi. That's what yeah. he calls it. That's what he looks like. It's stark, startling. We got a trade question here from Brisk as well. Uh, would you trade Austin Hayes and Nolan Gorman for Randy Arozarena? I would. 
Yeah, I think I probably would. Do it. I assume you're trading away Austin Hayes and Gorman for a Rosarania. I, I think Gorman, it, uh, assuming this is a redraft league, I think I'd probably do that. I think a Rosarania is just locked in and I think has better stuff. I, I, Gorman, I think, it could is going to be a great player overall. I think there's just a lot of swing and miss in his game. And I think his rookie year is going to be a little bit bumpy throughout the thing, uh, throughout yeah, the right. remainder of the year. I think I'd take the... The more the more comfortable a Rosarania for Hayes or Gorman. Well, the Gorman thing's tough because it looks like he's only going to play against uh, righties right, right now. So they've they haven't even tried him really against lefties at all. So you're not getting every day at bats there. And yeah, he's going to have like a two homer game once every three weeks where you're going to feel like you made a mistake. Exactly. But the rest of the time he's going to strike out thirty five percent of the time with a two ten batting average. Right. Like that's that's just where he's at in his in his development right now. So I think yeah, you're right. Long term, uh, really intriguing prospect. He's gonna be kind of on that like Tyler O'Neill trajectory where he's gonna mm-hmm. have to figure out how to get the athleticism and the big time power to play where he can make enough contact that it all comes together. And and those are the guys where they sometimes struggle for a really long time and then it just like that it just snaps into place. So that's kind of the comp I have with 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 Gorman is is that O'Neill sort of um, development. trajectory i think that's where he's headed so yeah a lot of swing and miss in that game but when he makes contact that ball goes and like as we've seen with a a lot of these guys it's obviously as we know in baseball it's step onto the league and show your stuff the pitchers make adjustments then you have to make adjustments back and we're just in that process where he's going to need to pitchers are starting to make their adjustments he's going to need to start figuring out the holes for it yeah, I like Austin Hayes too. He's kind of underrated from a, Agreed. a batting average standpoint. He's been probably just as good as Randy Rosarena, but I kind of look up at Rosarena. I want to see where the steals are at because like, I don't remember off the top of my head. Yeah, he's got 18 stolen bases this year. I was going to say he's he offers a lot higher stolen base upside. So that's where that's I was going to say that's, that's the big winner for me there. Yeah, is I would take the stolen base floor of a Rosarena for the yep. rest of the year over that. Yep. All right, let's. Uh, we got Star Platinum here. What about Lance McCullers? He was throwing 93 yesterday. So, look, Lance McCullers has continually, for me, been one of, I think, one of the least heralded pitchers out there who continues to put together really good performances when he is on the mound. Obviously, he has not pitched at all this year. He's recovering from a lengthy injury, did not pitch in last year's postseason, um, or at least later in the postseason. Yeah, he got hurt in the postseason. Exactly, got hurt later in the postseason. So it's been a while for him, but Lance McCullers, again, we're assuming when he gets back at 100% health, Lance McCullers is, I think, someone that if you have the roster spot, not a bad idea, or the IL spot, I should say, not a bad idea to potentially stash him now. This is a guy who has continually pitched well when healthy, and there's not many of those pitchers out there that might be available on your wire that you can stick into an IL spot who can give this kind of impact for you later in the year. So McCullers, the issue is that he had like an extreme forearm flexor tendon issue where he said in an interview during the off season that it was basically off the bone, which I don't even know that's possible. He didn't, I didn't know that either, but yeah, yeah. He made that. He made it sound way worse than I thought it was possible. Yeah, it's basically. I, I want to say it's like the highest grade strain you could have. Like it did not right. sound good. Uh, but he didn't have any UCL damage. That's why he didn't have Tommy John surgery yep. or anything crazy from that standpoint. That's why the recovery timeline is shorter here. But you know, this is this is an issue where he needs to build up, and it's like a full spring training offseason build up where. Yeah, he's finally been cleared to throw bullpen sessions, and then he's gonna throw live sessions, and then he's gonna make rehab starts. Like it's gonna be a while. It's gonna be a while. I, I don't envision him coming back until you know you're looking at probably late July, early August. Like I think he's gonna need a full month here to build well. up his stamina and pitch count. So I, I wouldn't be counting on him, you know, for the next couple of weeks. But he's looked good in the live bullpens that he's thrown. Uh, you know, he's even able to throw the curveball and a little bit of slider mixed in there too. So that's a good sign, but you know, he's, he's pretty far at this point. Yeah. Like you said, a lot of steps to go here, but encouraging signs up front, which is, which is really nice for a guy. Like I said, not many players out there who could potentially bring that kind of, you know, that kind of impact that are unrostered at this point in the year. If you got IL spots, potentially. Yeah. That's the problem with rostering injured pitchers though, is that if there's any kind of a setback, that's probably it. I mean, this is yeah. what you're seeing with Jack Flaherty where, yeah, he, he makes it back or Steven Strasburg where, you know, yeah. 
they might make it back, but if there's any kind of a setback, that's probably it. Like you're not getting anything Good else. Point. So you're investing a lot of time on that spot. So I, I, I struggle with uh, injured pitchers in that regard because you just don't know what you're getting here. It's, it's a good point. It's really risky. And we've also seen, like you said, those two examples this year alone of guys who were rostered, had people, you know, guys waited for a while to get them finally back. They get one outing, two outings, and all of a yeah. sudden, bye. The rest they, of the season, you wasted yeah. a IL spot on that. There's examples so, in the other direction, too, where, you know, like Clayton Kershaw mm-hmm. missed a chunk of time with a back issue. You think, oh, That's man, good. that could be a problem. He's been fine. So um, Brandon Woodruff's come back and been okay. So, you know, this is what you got to watch for. It's it's just (laughs) every pitcher's different. So you never know. All right. Let's uh, let's finish with JP here. Vinny Vasquitino, Pasquitino, Pasquitino. He broke Vasquitino in there. And I was like, I like the, uh, I like the, it's like he's dating himself. We did our own little like Ben Lowe there or whatever it was. Uh, Vinny Pasquitino. Which, by the way, I have to fight the urge not to not to just go full yeah, I did. full, yeah, I did uh, full Sopranos while saying it. Yeah. Uh, better than Christian Walker or Nate Lowe. Um, uh, look, uh, Christian Walker to me continues to be perpetually yeah. underrated. I think the way that he's playing this year. I mean, I, I we just Chris and I just did a show the other day where I think Walker was uh, had the largest difference in baseball between batting average, expected batting average, his batting average at the time was about 205. His expected batting average was near 270. So I know that's the biggest knock on his game right now. He's got the home runs. He's got the RBIs. He's locked into the middle of that Arizona lineup, but the batting average is killing you. But I think there's a lot of regression to the mean at some point during this conversation. If he can be a 240 hitter at the end of the year, that is totally fine in today's day and age. If he's going to bring you the hits, the home runs and the RBIs like he is right now, I'd take Walker over all of them right now. Um, but I mean, Vinny Pasquitino, I, I, the, the elite eye that he has, I think in the minor leagues, he had one fewer walk than strikeout in like 60 games. Like that's the kind of hitter that he is. I think he only struck out 32 times in 60 games. Like that's unheard of in today's game. Obviously we're going against minor league pitching and not major league pitching, but this is the type of eye that he has. He has power. He was leading the minor leagues in home runs when he got the call up. I like him a lot moving forward, but I'd still take Christian Walker over him. These these prospects are my Achilles heel. I I, I drove the Dan Vogelbach train for a long time. I looked at Pasquitino. I, I was you, like, "Is that Vogelbach out there?" <laughs> these guys will break your heart. I yep. I don't. It, it brings me no pleasure to say this because I am their biggest fan. But um, anytime you're trying to translate minor league stats from AAA to yep. the majors, it gets really difficult. So the thing with Pasquitino is that people like the bat. Um, obviously, he's got a ton of power. It's just where does the bat, where do the plate skills settle in? Because there's yep. a really fine line between those bat first prospects. Cause you don't have the defensive profile to fall back on where it's somebody like, uh, you know, we talked a lot about Riley green, Michael Harris. Mm-hmm. Those are guys who are premium defenders where even if they're not hitting, they're going to play every day because of their defense and the versatility they have. I don't, the Royals are uh, tricky. Just look at the Edward Olivares situation where it's like, mm-hmm. you'd think he would have played every day for years now. And it's like, it's not so. I just worry a little bit about the playing time. That's my issue is if he's not hitting a ton, like look out. So that's where I struggle with these guys. And I, I really like the player, but I, I'd rather have Walker. You know what you're getting at this point. He's kind of been the same guy for a couple of years now, but th- these are the tricky ones. Cause sometimes you get a Luke Voigt and other times you get a Dan Vogelbach. So you, you never know what you're going to get. Exactly. Well, although he made a very nice defensive play today there. And, yeah. you know, we, we always say defense absolutely matters when it comes to fantasy, even though it doesn't count because it keeps you in the lineup. The, and here's the thing, like we can, I, I'll, uh, if, I, if I criticize a player's defense, that guy is like a hundred times better than anybody who's like out there playing whatever league they're in, you know, right. This guy is a major league caliber player. Like this isn't like, Oh yeah. But compared to the elite guys, like it's not comparing him to like a Freddie Freeman. It's like, okay, you're not on the same planet, but uh, compared to most of the world, phenomenal player. So yeah. Anytime we get critical like that, you have to put it in perspective a little. I also have to like the fact that Pasquatino, I think in his first three games, batted in the fifth hole, the four hole and the fifth hole. Like if he's going to be locked in to that kind of spot from now to the end of the year, you really like that 
opportunity for production, but still give me Christian Walker there. I think he is just perpetually underrated and needs to be involved in a lot more leagues. I think he's still available in over 50% yeah. of Yahoo leagues. I don't understand that. He needs the to be added more. The issue is probably just the landscape. Like there's a lot of those kind of one-dimensional sluggers out there where if you, the problem, like you said, with the batting average right now is Walker's batting average probably should be higher, but it's not. So he's it's kind not of getting yeah. thrown into that barrel of, you know, this is the classic 220 guy, like the Joey Gallo bucket, I like mm-hmm. to call it, where it's like, yep. yeah, the batting average is in a little bit of an anchor, but you know you're going to get power. So, like, there's just a lot more guys who do that as opposed to, like, the John Birdie types who are, like, on-base guys just steal bases. <laughs> there just aren't, like, more than a handful of those guys. But exactly. There's a lot of guys who look like Christian Walker probably. But that just about finishes up our show for today. If you enjoy the show, well, then make sure you are subscribed wherever you listen to your podcast so you don't miss an episode in the future. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to rate and review us. Love those five stars. And while you're at it, be sure to follow NBC Sports Edge on Twitter, YouTube, and Twitch to be informed of all of our live shows, Q&As, segments, articles, and more so you can keep up to date on everything around the league and join in on the action. You can follow me on Twitter at CalDon'tLie, and you can follow George at George Bissell. Be sure to tune back in tomorrow as Drew and Janice return with their MLB power rankings. Hint, my Yankees are definitely first place. So make sure you don't miss it. So until then, enjoy your holiday weekend. And as always, thanks for listening. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. A lot can happen between falling in love with a house online and owning it. Between imagining living there breathing in your new home for the first time. Having an advocate who can help you navigate the complex world of financing, inspections, negotiating, analyzing the market, and talking through any anxieties that may pop up, that can make all the difference. That's what the expertise of a Realtor can do for you. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors and bound by a code of ethics, because that's who we are.